again and welcome back to the KI Prime podcast. I'm your host, Alina Jenkins, and in this episode, we're speaking to Professor Samar Abdelazim. Samar is the National Erasmus Plus Coordinator for Egypt and a Professor of Forensic Medicine at Ain Shams University Faculty of Medicine. Samar is also core faculty at Famer Institute in Philadelphia. For years, she's built a capacity in educational management and in the capacity to transform educational systems. And her areas of research are broad, but she's looking at cultural contextualization for medical education innovation. Samar, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Really nice to have you. I know you're going through a busy time at the moment because you've been doing lots of research, but you've also just moved jobs. Yes, absolutely. I'm um, I'm moving to another country, moving to Dubai um, as the vice dean for education uh, at Gulf I'm sorry, at um, uh, Dubai Medical College for Girls. Uh, and um, it's a whole new challenge, a whole new world and um, something new to, to do uh, for the coming, hopefully, few years. Yeah. How have you been managing all of this? Because I know you've been really busy with your research. And then not only are you moving jobs, but you're moving countries. So how is all of that going? It, like a surface. <laughs> But it's okay. It's uh, it's happening. Trying to do a lot of planning and a lot of timelining and uh, uh, not really too much time to do reflection, which I got here at the um, K Prime program uh, fellows program. Uh, but uh, it's happening. So um, uh, wish me luck. Yeah. No. Good luck. And and is the job very different to what you have been doing recently? It's it's pretty similar to many roles I've overtaken, uh, undertaken, I mean, over the years. Um, not so different, but uh, hopefully it's uh, the context is different and this is the area where I study. So um, it will be interesting to uh, take a look at uh, different contexts, what they do to my leadership capacities and styles. We will see. Yeah. Um, so let, let's, let's dig into your research. As I said at the beginning, it's, it's very broad, but at, at the moment, and then certainly what you're focusing on here at KI Prime is around cultural contextualization. So just tell me more about some of your, your research in that area. Yeah, so um, luckily, luckily, over the past uh, one and a half day, I've had time to really reflect and dwell on this and understand where where my research line has been over the years and where it's going. And a big part of this is making sense of what the body of research, the previous body of research meant. And um, the, the thing is, we've been witnessing innovation all over the world, uh, all over all the world, actually, not just Egypt, not just uh, the, the region of the Middle East, it's everywhere. And innovation or the concept of innovation, it lies under the uh, the notion that you have to import some kind of something that is happening somewhere very well. And then just try to bring it as it is and do it where you are. Very little thought is put into how to adapt that to context and to culture. And uh, we, my research team and I have been doing lots of work on trying to offer solutions to um, uh, adapt these innovative procedures uh, to be functional in uh, divided places like uh, in schools in Egypt, in schools in the Middle East. Um, in our uh, reach area, area within our reach. So we've been offering lots of work on uh, guidelines to do this and guidelines to do that and how to uh, transform this and how to make sure this is culturally sensitive. We've done this work a lot. And then 
lately we started to transcend into maybe a, a bigger concept or a bigger notion on uh, what could be the 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 generalizable information that comes out of this and comes out of all these experiences that can be generalized for the whole world it's mm -hmm. not just what you can give to your own context but how can you do the transformation worldwide? And this is what we are doing at the moment with experimentation. So where are you then in, in this area of experimentation? So this is this is the the newer bit of the research. Uh, how, how are you feeling about that? I am it's so excited. I'm in love with the new piece <laughs> of research, in love with it, absolutely. And uh, what we're doing is that we have come to a realization that we all know uh, medical education, it's not a science, it's rather a social science. So when you do experiments with that, it's not um, representative to do that on a close cohort or try with pre-test and post-test on students and all that things, all those things that people tend to try to do. And even ourselves, we've, we've been trying to do this, but it offers solutions, but I wonder whether or not these solutions are really transferable to the practice. So the concept was, let's do a social experiment. Let's plan for it really well and uh, make this social experiment as big as we can, make it as representative as we can, make sure we standardize those teeny-weeny subsets that uh, might jeopardize the, the results. And then maybe what comes out of this social experiment would be something that could be generalizable. And the concept was, let's try to think about a solution on how, how, to do this cultural contextualization. Because you hear the word a lot, but yes, how do we do this? They say, involve the stakeholders, just ask people, but yes, but how? How do you do this? How do you make sure that whatever you transform and adapt, it's adapted to the liking of that specific mm. uh, context? So we thought we'd experiment with something that could hold grudge a little bit. It's cultural appropriation. And we said, why not let's appropriate the culture of a closed group, sit in their shoes, be them, speak to them as if you were them, and then see how that affects education and educational outcome. We planned a whole experiment around that, identified a cohort with specific uh, cultural inclination If I get into specifics, it would be inclination towards superstition. Yeah, We created educational videos that spoke to the superstition in addition to adding knowledge and attitudinal shift dimensions. We uh, took those uh, videos and those educational material out on these people. Uh, we offered them to those people. My English is not as good as it should be. Very good. So, yeah, uh, we offered it for a few months. People were... We're learning from these videos, using these videos, taking them in and changing and shifting education, shifting information, shifting attitudes. And then we decided to tell them that this was a social experiment and that we need your inputs. Did you learn? And we designed this whole data collection device, which was amazing in my view, of course. Yeah. Of course, reviewers might find it different. We will see. But we devised this device that was uh, for data collection, and we brought out such important data that we sat on, analyzed, and came up with um, uh, further assumptions that maybe in the future we need to replicate this experiment 
on other given cultures and see whether it works or not. Because this time it worked really, really well. What were some What were some of the results? Yes. So uh, in terms of the results, we asked people, uh, you, you watch the videos. And there were two aspects of that. There was the aspect of superstition. And uh, there were things in the superstition that probably you remember. And there were other things that probably you remember. And we asked them about those specifically. So we took the evidence that came out of that and we asked people, uh, how much of this did you remember? How much of that did you remember? And uh, we saw the evidence that people actually remembered the information and the knowledge much more than they remembered the superstition that was involved in the video, although they were inclined towards believing in superstition. So we managed to transfer this knowledge through a wrap wrapped in superstitious beliefs just because we thought that appropriating this culture would help people of that culture learn. Mm -hmm. So we got we got numbers like 94% of people who watched the videos actually answered correctly the questions that were related to knowledge acquisition. And um, uh, of course, we asked open-ended questions that gave us more insight about um, what helps these people learn. What are the drivers for their learning? And of course, curiosity came on top of the list that the more you make them curious, the happier they are and the more they learn. And um, lots of other things that came out of this research, but um, it is like a gateway that's telling us go forward, you're in the right direction. Yeah, this sounds really exciting, Samara. And actually what you haven't mentioned, which you were telling me last night, is this was actually done on social media as well, wasn't it? Which is which is fascinating. Yeah, so we so it was done on social media, not just that. We we made use of um you know specific pages with specific kind of uh, content and followers of that page and we we identified the group and the cohort as followers of a specific page that spoke just superstition just superstition. And um, that gave us so much coverage and so much reach just using social media to to promote this. And uh, of course, I don't think any kind of um, a sampling could have gotten us this kind of input, this amount of input, if social media was not a part of it. Yeah. Really, what what made you decide this is, this is how we should do it? Because this sounds very innovative. Okay, so so this is funny because uh, what will happen is you you probably expect me to be very divisive about this, and I thought this through. And Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes <laughs> didn't happen that way. Actually, I saw an opportunity, and you know, it's it's as if you you can. See, I saw the opportunity, and I saw beyond it. I just saw lots of potential in that opportunity, and I grabbed it. Mm. At that time, I I didn't have a really clear vision of how this relates to what we have been doing over the past years. But being in the fellowship and being a part of this program uh, the past one and a half day, I, I came to a realization that this was, this was the normal transcendence of what needed to happen now that we have tried everything to offer people solutions on how to adapt. And they seem to be working and improving situations, yes, but they're not solving the problem from the root. Hmm. So the problem now needs to be addressed from the roots. When you design something, you design it 
or this is what we hope to achieve. When you design it, you design it after having appropriated the culture of the place you're designing for. In other words, it's not even healthy to try to adopt without understanding the culture and designing from within the culture. So what's next then? What, what do you do next? Apart from obviously you've got to go and start your new job. <laughs> what's next for the research? So um, the thing is, when we started this, um, this social experiment, it could have gone either mm. one of two ways. It could have gone really bad. And to tell you the truth, it was a 50-50 um, a chance that it would, gone up, it would have gone really bad. And we would have gotten answers that suggest that people just got the superstition out of what we were doing and learned very little. The other way that the research went, and this is what actually happened, is that it proves that our hypothesis has some base to it. Now, the question is, is this generalizable? Is this just related to this specific culture and this specific body of knowledge? So in order to make sure that our message is a generalizable message, which we want to do ultimately, we want to try this again on a different culture with a different set of knowledge, coupling what uh, coupling um, uh, things that relate. So forensic medicine, which was the body of knowledge that we offered in the first experiment, relates well to superstition because people are always uh, enthusiastic about what um, uh, what uh, what's after death and uh, uh, do do bodies move? Are they is there horror in the morgue? So we're gonna look for other power couples within education and try those out. And uh, hopefully they give the same results. If they do, then maybe we can claim that this is more generalizable than uh, it looks at the moment. Mm. I know your other area of research, which I wanted to briefly touch on, was around polarity mapping. So I wondered if you could just tell us more about what you've been doing in that area. Okay, so so thank you. Of course, polarity mapping is a passion. And it's not uh, an area of research as much as it is a um, tool for research that you can instill into any area. So when we're speaking about, for example, I want to give people guidelines to tell them uh, how to use online education versus face-to-face. -face. That's, I do that using polarity mapping. And what polarity mapping is actually, and we call it in a bigger term polarity management, you assume that there is no one solution for any given question. There are two. And actually the two of them are rather accepted. None of them is wrong, but you have to manage your way around making decisions on which of these you're going to accept. You can do an uninformed decision or toss a coin, or you can polarity map. And polarity mapping is what we suggest we can do to help people reach informed decisions about when to shift from this solution to that solution. This implies on anything. It works on distance learning and face-to-face. -face. It works on doing MCQs versus doing uh, long uh, item questions, uh, written item questions. It works on anything, absolutely anything. So if you find two academicians sitting face-to-face uh, -face and having this huge quarrel about, let's do this. And I say, no, we don't do this. Let's do that. Hold on. Let's map and let's do a polarity. And let's see how our organization should make this decision. It should not make this decision by trying to alienate one of the 
um, uh, answers because you're going to need this answer at one point of time. The, the thing is, when will you need this answer? When will you need to do this shift? And you do this shift only on information that you get after mapping the possibility of what can be and what will be if this goes wrong. So it's kind of a projection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a phase of mapping just before you you crash, yeah. you map. <laughs> I love I love that analogy. Um, I've been asking everybody about mentorship, Samal. So, um, if you think about where you are today, who's helped you get here? The beauty of this question is that I have uh, been um, I've been talking about this a lot on our way here. So many people, I mean, I don't know who to name, but of course, I have to thank, of course, someone who has been instrumental to me from the beginning. John Lorsi, who is a K-Prime uh, winner, uh, he's been, I mean, he has changed my life in so many different ways ever since I came into the field of medical education. He hasn't left me for a day. Um, it, we're not close friends, but he's the perfect mentor. He's the person who... You reach out to and ask him, where do I go from here? And he's a person who reaches out to you and says, you have a potential in this. In addition to many other people, of course, that you know, and I really want to mention Janet Grant, who is uh, the director of St. Medic in UK. And she's been like an older sister to me. And she I look up to her as a, as a figure for revolutionizing everything in medical education and uh Hopefully, I can be a small Janet Grant one day. Oh, I love, I love that idea, and I can see how much John means to you when, you, when you're talking about him um, and, and that relationship that you have. And I, my final question for you is, is actually about why we're here. Congratulations on being one of the fellows for KI Prime for 2022. And I've been asking everybody what it means to them and what you think it might mean for your research as well. Yeah, so what it means for me, it's recognition because I'm I'm really happy that uh, uh, some some place as um, as horrendous and big and um, esteemed as uh, Karolinska Institute uh, Prize in Research in Medical Education has seen some potential in what I can do uh, and in my work that is worth cultivating and worth working on. So this for me is something, it's beyond um, beyond what I could have hoped for. So I'm really thankful for, for that. And in terms of what it will do to my research, it will transform my research. Absolutely. Really, the past one and a half day have given me such big insight on where this has been com coming from and how this relates to me as a person and where it should be going in the very near future. And the, the direction of this and how to escalate this into a space where you have people who can hear you and uh, people who can uh, actually internalize the message that you're sending. It's not just, you know, when you when you publish a paper, you, you always ask yourself, will someone actually read this? Mm. Will someone do something with it? Now I know that no, people read it and people are going to do something with it. And I have to be very careful with what I put out there because uh, it, it will define me and it continues to define me. And now it continu continues to define me as a K-Prime fellow, which is something I should be taking note of. And, and being a, a woman from Egypt, if you think about your career so far, we've spoken about equity and inclusion and diversity on this podcast. Where do you feel 
Egypt is in in that sense? And are there things that still need to be done to make sure that that women and you know the Middle East and the global South are that everyone's on the same playing field? Yeah. So I'll speak about my country, my experience. Uh, it- no woman in Egypt or, or no woman in our status in Egypt feels um, prejudiced because she's a woman at all. On the contrary, on the contrary, really. Uh, we feel very empowered and we feel that we, we can do everything and go everywhere. And actually, we take lead on everything. And the only thing that will help us become something more substantial and we see more women in leadership positions is that women come to support each other, actually. So if women in committees start supporting each other, we will see more women in leadership positions in Egypt. But the the road is open and it's paved. And uh, we have more, uh, we have, I don't know how many, but we have so many Egyptian ministers, uh, women ministers at the moment, um, so many in academia. But when it comes to academic higher rank levels, like presidents of universities, deans, they need to support each other to reach these uh, positions, which I hope we will see uh, when people feel more empowered and more uh, comfortable in their own zones and not in a competitive mode. Yeah, that's great to hear. Samar, it's been so lovely to speak to you. Inspirational, actually. I can tell how passionate you are and how excited you are about your research. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. You've been amazing. And thank you for the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the amazing questions. Oh, you're really welcome, Samar. And thank you to everybody listening at home. Uh, Thank you for your time listening to the KI Prime podcast. For now, goodbye. Goodbye.